let's talk about the series we're on right now. It has to do with matters of the mind. We'll continue uh, and go further right now. But before we do, let's review a little bit where we were last week. That was our first session on this subject. And let's review by seeing if we can remember uh, the key verse, which we examined in detail last week. It's Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23, and we can say it together. Are you ready? Here we go. Watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. Way to go. Proverbs 4, 23. The wisest man ever to have lived, Solomon told us, it all starts here. It's a matter of the mind. Emotions, behaviors, they all come from here. They don't have an existence, really, apart from thinking which has preceded it. And so if you want to get to the root of the problem, it's good to start here. From it, from the heart, which is the Hebrew Word for mind, flow all of the springs of life. So we spoke about that last week, and I want to take us just a little further down the road uh, today. Centuries and centuries ago, the ancient Israelites were a slave people in Egypt. And they cried out to God, and he, on the basis of their cry, coupled with his mercy, delivered them. He did that because that's what he does. He is a deliverer. And not only did he deliver Israel from bondage in one place, he promised her entrance into another place. A land filled with hope and promise, a special land, a holy land. But prior to entering into the holy land, God had to instruct this us people who had lived for 400 years in slavery, how to live with their newfound liberty. And so he, uh, he communicated his instructions prior to their entrance into the Holy Land, uh, through Moses. And some of the keyest instructions which he left are found in Deuteronomy. And so if you would care to uh, turn there, you're welcome to. Otherwise, just listen. Deuteronomy chapter 6. I want to share with you two verses of Scripture from this text. Deuteronomy, pretty easy to find. If you're a little new to the Bible, you just start at the beginning and turn right a little bit, and you'll find your way to Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 6. Here's the instruction which God gave to Moses to give to Israel. Hear, O Israel. It's verse 4. Deuteronomy 6, verse 4. Hear, listen up, O Israel. The Lord is our God. The Lord is one. That is known as the Shema. It's a Hebrew word taken from the first word in the exhortation, hear. Shema means to hear. These are the watchwords of the Jewish faith. They've been uttered since the time when it was written uh, thousands of years ago down to this very day. 
Every Jewish person recites this often, especially uh, when we gather together for religious occasions. It's called the Shema. Hear, oh, it's so important, in fact, to us uh, that we have put it in uh, unusual containers like this. I'll show you. These are called tefillin from the word for prayer. Phylacteries is a word you may be a little more familiar with. Straps attached to a box. And in the box is this passage of scripture. Deuteronomy chapter 6 amongst others. And we have made these phylacteries because God said, here is my word. Teach it to your children and bind it to your Minds, And so we take this little strap and we put this around our head so that this box is suspended right here. Perhaps you've seen it in pictures and so on. So it's in here in the phylacteries. These belong to my grandfather, by the way, who I know would be so thrilled to see them used at a Baptist church. <laughs> and then... Uh, we also take this Shema, Deuteronomy 6, and we put them in this item, which perhaps you've seen. It's called the mezuzah, which means doorpost. Because we take that passage of scripture, it's inside this on parchment, and we nail this to the doorposts of our homes at an angle. So as to remind us that our comings and goings are to be bounded by the word of God. So we do this in response to the commandment of God. He once again said, this is my word. Make sure you teach it to your children. Obey it and you shall bind it on the doorposts of your homes. So we do that literally. And so this is a mezuzah in which is the Shema. So it's quite important. I'd like to recite it to you uh, in a way uh, that we have done for well, thousands of years. Here's what it says. Shema Yisrael, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Why such emphasis on one verse of scripture? Oh, it says a ton. You see, Israel was set free from a place uh, characterized by polytheism. The ancient Egyptians worshipped not one god, but many gods. And Israel was on her way into the land of Canaan, where she would run into Canaanite people. And they too were polytheistic. This notion of monotheism, there is one God, he's a unity, there's only one true God, frankly was a revealed truth from on high. Left to himself, mankind came up with a plurality of gods, you know, the God of the mountains, the God of the lakes, the God of the trees. And so the true God revealed himself to be an Echad, the one and only God. Here, Israel, your God is only one God. Well, this was quite a relief for Israel. Let me explain why. Imagine having many, many gods whose voices you have to listen to and obey. 
But what if those gods tell you things that contradict one another? What if one god contradicts another? Your head is spinning. You don't know whether you're coming or going. You don't know how to please them because you can't please them. One god wants you to do this and another god wants you to do that. One god says, get up. The other god says, sit down. Your head, you're going to come apart in your mind. So to know that there's only one God whose word is not contradicted by anybody else because he's the most high God makes life so simple and safe and secure. And so before going into the land of promise, God wanted to remind Israel, I alone am the most high God. Hear me and you will have a sense of security impossible for your polytheistic neighbors. And then the next verse in the Shema, Deuteronomy 6 now verse 5 says, in light of who God is, here is what your response to him is to be. You shall love the Lord your God with all your Notice three capacities with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. You have one God. There is but one God. Choose him for an intimate relationship. Love him wholeheartedly with everything you have. He's the one, nobody else. He's the one who heard your cry. He's the one who delivered you. Respond to his love with the totality of your own love. Well, I want you to uh, go with me now several hundred years past this. Let's fast forward to the time of the Lord Jesus. Imagine him when he was here on earth, centuries after the Shema. He came to suffer and die and people gave him such a hard time. He offered only good and ran into such bad response. In fact, many times when the Lord Jesus was here and fleshed, uh, the toughest crowd were religious leaders. Organized religion really wants nothing to do uh, with the Lord Jesus. And so there was an occasion when he was in the streets, the precincts of the temple in Jerusalem, and he was being confronted on all sides by the Jewish religious leadership who wanted to make fun of him, uh, who wanted to find some inconsistency in his thinking and in his teaching, and they were getting frustrated uh, because they were failing. And then somebody, a scribe, an expert in religious law, came up to him and posed the most interesting question, which I want to bring to your attention now. So if you would keep your finger on Deuteronomy chapter 6 just for a moment, while turning to Mark chapter 12, that would be good. Mark chapter 12. And I want you to see this incident where a religious leader uh, approached the Lord Jesus on this occasion to trap him. You say, not to learn from him. No, no, no. The motive wasn't that pure. Mark chapter 12, verse 28. One of the scribes came and heard them arguing and recognizing that he, that's the Lord Jesus, had answered them well, asked him. He asked him another question. He said, what commandment is the foremost of all? Why did he ask that one? Uh, the Jewish religious leaders were always 
asking that question. They were debating it, discussing it actively uh, in an animated fashion. I know this because our rabbis do this to this very day. You, you see in this day and down to our very day, our uh, rabbis have identified for us in the Jewish part of the Bible, the Old Testament, 613 commandments. They're subpoints of the Ten Commandments, but if you number them, there are 613. Some are positive instructions and some are negative. Some say do this, that's positive. Some say don't do this, that's negative. They total 613. And so the rabbis had nothing better to do but to sit around and sort of rank these things in order of priority. So you can see this is real job security. There's like 613 of these things. You try rank. So this guy says, which Rabbi Jesus? is the most important of them all. In other words, he's saying, tell us what, from your point of view, is the most important thing in life. You know what? Even though the motive wasn't pure, that's a good question. Wouldn't you like to know the answer? What is the most essential, the most critical? What is the most indispensable? What is the most important thing in life? And Rabbi Jesus answered, verse 29, The foremost is, here, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Wait, does that strike a familiar note? That's the Shema. That's from Deuteronomy 6. You have your finger on it right now. He responded to this Jewish religious leader by quoting from his own scriptures. He quoted the Shema. And he even gave the rest of it next. Verse 30. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. He took the rabbi back to Torah, to his own scriptures, so as to answer the question, what's the most important thing in life? This is the most important thing in life, that you love God with the totality of your being. Mark 12, verse 13. You know what? We should memorize that. Want to do it? You have no choice. I got the microphone. Mark 12, 30. Let's, let's take it apart. Let's do it. You, so that's the first word. See if you can do that without looking at the Bible. Say it. You, you might cross the you then, of course, context is everything, was this scribe. But the you by application is you. You shall, say the two together. You shall, maybe, so that's a commandment, right? This is not like I suggest. This is not like, hey, if you feel okay about, this is do it. This has the force of command. You shall love. Run the three together. You shall love. Look, I'm going to tell you, somebody, something is going to be the object of your affection and devotion. There's something in us. That's the way it is. We attach. You shall love thee. Let's say it together. You shall love thee. That's a definite article. That gives us a, not just a general, it doesn't say a, it says thee, one of a kind. It's definite, it's specific. You shall love thee, Lord. Say it together. You shall love thee, Lord. Master is what that means. 
You shall love the Lord your, say everything, you shall love the Lord your possession. This is, this is a connection. This is, this is not something you have nothing to do with. You shall love the Lord your God. Let's say together. You shall love the Lord your, the Lord, the Master is your God. You have a relationship. You have a connection by His grace through your faith. In His shed blood, you've been brought nigh. You shall therefore love, just as He heard the cry of ancient Israel and set them free from bondage, He heard your cry. You cried out in your own way. You said, Lord Jesus, set me free from bondage to a cruel taskmaster. Oh, not the Egyptians. My sin set me free from its hold on me, set me free from its penalty, which is due me. And one day, oh, God, would you set me free from its very presence? And the Lord Jesus heard your cry. Your cry, coupled with his mercy, you got delivered. And you're on your way to a special land, a land filled with promise, a holy land. It's a new Jerusalem. Therefore, say it with me, you shall love the Lord your God. How? With all. You shall love, let's go, the Lord your God with all your, again, it's something that belongs to you. You can't give away what's mine. This is about you. Nobody does this for you. This is personal choice, act of volition. Nobody could do it for you. You can't do it for yourself. You, say it with me, shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. What's in you is to be given over to the Lord Jesus Christ. Forget about externals, what shows, what people see, you know. God sees this. Give what only he sees. Love him with that which he is privy to. What are you made of? Love him with all your heart. You shall love the Lord to God with all your heart and with all your soul. Let's say it together. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. It's more inside stuff. Love him with your, could we say personality? Could we say temperament? Could we say emotion? I don't know. It's, yeah, love him with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Third ingredient, and with all your mind. Let's say it together. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all the seed of the intellect, the seed of consciousness, your, your reasoning ability, your cognitions. Love him with all of this with all your mind and with all your strength. Don't let it be spread out. Many suitors, many partners, partners, don't let it dissipate. You have a limited quantity of strength. Invest it all in an intimate devotion to the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's say it together. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all 
your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. Okay, so you have another verse memorized. Feast on it. Hey, now that we've spent so much time on that verse, which I told you was a reference to the Shema, the ancient centuries-old Shema, I told you the Lord quoted in Mark 12 from Deuteronomy 6, but wait, he didn't quote it exactly the way it appears in Deuteronomy 6. Are there any astute, observant Bible students here who could tell us what did the Lord do differently in Mark 12 when he quoted the Shema? How did he modify it from Deuteronomy 6? First one who gets it could leave early. Okay, see ya. Bye, everyone. Mind. He added it to the Shema. You can see the same thing in Luke's account of this episode. By the way, he can do anything he wants. He's the incarnate word. This is his written word. If he wants to add something to it, I'm not arguing, are you? He added this. Why did he do it? Look, when the Shema was written, it's written to Hebrews. I mentioned to you that heart in Hebrew is essentially the equivalent of mind and that we Jews don't have a separate word for mind. When we use heart, we mean mind. But now you get into the New Covenant, the New Testament, and the audience is much larger now. It's not just Jews, it's Gentiles and Jews. And it's not just Hebrew-speaking people, it's Greek-speaking people. And the Greek mind did have this concept of a distinction between heart and mind. And so the Lord Jesus knows his audience, so he adds to the Shema the word mind, so as to say really the same thing, because heart and mind we mean the sum total of what's inside of you. But in adding the word mind, I think the Lord has taken steps to give specific emphasis to the intellectual capacity, I think he's saying, yes, when you think of love, you think of emotion and affection, and you ought to love me with all your heart, if that's what you associate with heart. But I want you to love me in your thought life, in your thought life. You know what he's saying? Loving me is just as much a matter of your mind as it is of your heart. Love me with your thought life. Love me with your mind. And the word for mind here in this text, in that verse you just memorized, you Bible fanatics. This word mind actually is thinking through. So listen to what the Lord Jesus is saying. He's saying, I want you to love me by carefully thinking through what you are thinking He's not just saying be smart. He's saying be a critical thinker. He's saying evaluate the quality of your thought. He's saying, do you think I would love it? Think through what you're thinking. You know what he's saying? Think about what you are prone to think about. You know why he's saying that? He's saying it because we don't. At the risk of offending you, we are lazy thinkers. Our thought life takes the path of least resistance. And the path of least resistance is to think that which we have always thought, whether the thoughts are true or not. 
We just keep doing it. So if the thought is lodged there, we let it be. It may be intruding on our peace and on our joy, but we let it move in anyway. In fact, we persuade ourselves there's nothing we could do about it. We're persuaded we can exercise our bodies, but we don't believe we can exercise our minds. But the Lord Jesus said, yes, you can. In fact, I invite it. In fact, I command it. I'll help you with it. Love me by thinking through all that you are thinking through. Don't just let it happen. You know what he's saying? You probably feel more than you think. And the reason why that is true feelings more than thoughts is that it's easier to feel than to think so most of us are preoccupied with emotions when in fact the thoughts which may have generated those emotions go untouched it's much easier to feel than to think that's why the average one of us could easily report i feel but if you said yeah but what are you thinking I'm thinking you'd be weird. What are you asking me that? Suppose you ask me how I feel. Not what I'm... But thoughts based on Proverbs 4.23, which we went over last week, generate the feelings. If the feelings are uncomfortable and I focus on those, please tell me what it's going to get me except in a deeper hole. So the Lord Jesus says, back up and think through what you're thinking, because what you're thinking generates everything else. Don't you see? Everything flows from the springs of life. All the things pertaining to life flow from this, the seed of your consciousness, your cognitions. So since feeling takes less concentration than thinking, we are prone to do more feeling than thinking. But the Lord Jesus says, I want you to love me by thinking right. So he's calling upon us to love him with our minds. It's an interesting concept, I must tell you. It's fairly, I'm ashamed to tell you, it's fairly new to me. But it's okay, we're all growing, we're all learning. Nobody has arrived. You know what I've been finding out since I've been doing this? It's really hard. It's just really, really hard. Um, to exercise one's mind... <laughs> Um, to deliberately evaluate one's thinking, to see whether or not that thinking um, corresponds to the mind of Christ. <laughs> that is hard work. I am finding it's not automatic, nor does it come naturally. I'm finding, good night, I, I got to really work it just like I would a physical discipline. So when the Lord Jesus said, I want, you to love me with your mind. I think he's saying, ask yourself this question. Are you thinking the thoughts that I love? That's what he's saying. Are you thinking the thoughts that I love? Look, God is truth. Do you believe that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jesus said, I am the truth. If he's the truth, he loves the truth. Therefore, he loves it when you and I think that which is true. So you may have very strong emotional experiences. I understand that. Those are real things. You may have very strong emotional experiences, but that you feel something strongly doesn't make it true. 
That's why the Lord Jesus says, think through it all. Think through it all. Here's what I mean. You may feel rejected. Uh, You may feel worthless. You may feel abandoned, uh, guilty, forsaken. You may feel unloved. You may feel without hope. But if you are a Christian, God has declared his acceptance of you. He has declared his love for you. He has declared his pardon of you. He has declared his commitment to change you. He has declared his loyalty to you. He has declared his delight in you. He has declared himself to be your father and you, his child, forevermore. And he has declared his irreversible promise never, ever, ever to leave you alone again. Think on these things. Yeah, but I feel, I know that, feelings are real things. They're they're wonderful things. They're from God. Feelings are good things to have. Feelings are not good if they have you. So the Lord Jesus is not talking about camping out on feelings. Those are only derivatives of thoughts. He's saying, love me in your thought. Are you thinking the thoughts, therefore, that God loves? Do you know the word for love in this text here in Mark 12? You're familiar with it. Is the word agape. Lots of words for love. You know this. But this is the one the Lord chose here. Love agape style, he said. You know what that quality of love is it's more an act of the will than of the feelings you know what he's saying if i might paraphrase a little crudely he's saying just do it but i don't feel just do it yeah but i'm not just do it but my emotion just do it just wrap your thoughts around me in such fashion that i feel hugged by what you're thinking Love me with your mind. And we do this by thinking the thoughts that God's, God loves. A new challenge I am finding myself facing at this point in my Christian life and offer it to you is to ask this question. Am I loving God with my thoughts? Am I harboring the thoughts that God loves? There are two principal things that keep us from doing it. They're really simple. Two things keep us from loving God with our minds. The first is not knowing what's on God's mind. How could I love him with my mind if I don't know what's on his? So I commend to you the diligent study of the Bible. You see, Jesus took his thoughts and put it on paper. There. I don't have to guess about what's on his mind, what he thinks. He spelled it out. One of the things that inhibit my capacity to love him with my mind is that I don't know what's on his mind. So biblical unfamiliarity and ignorance is a psychological suicide for you or me. I won't think right. I won't feel right. I won't behave right unless I have the mind of Christ. And I could access the mind of Christ. He came enfleshed. Then he gave me the word of God in written form. He came as the incarnate word, and I have the written word. So one of the things that keeps me from loving God with my mind is I don't know what's on his mind as I ought to. I hope you're in an iConnect Bible study. I hope you're in a weekday Bible study. I hope you're reading through the Bible. I hope, I hope you're listening to the Bible. I don't know. 
I just hope you're taking it in, taking it in. You don't have to understand everything. You just want to increase your familiarity with the mind of Christ, you see. And the second thing that inhibits us, keeps us from loving God with our minds, first is not knowing what's on God's mind, and the second is allowing lies to enter in to our own minds. One is that I don't know what's on his mind, and the second is I allow deceptive thoughts to go on unchallenged in my own minds. Have you ever heard yourself thinking these thoughts? I don't fit in anywhere. I dare not let anyone know what's really going on with me for they will reject me and I'm all I have. I am stuck. There is no hope. I cannot change. I am hope. Have you ever thought of, heard yourself? You can almost hear yourself thinking thoughts like these. Well, I must tell you, not a one of those are God's thoughts. I'm not making that up. I found out what's on his mind by reading the Bible. I've read through it a few times. None of this stuff is in there. Oh, it's in my mind, it's in your mind. Where did I get it from? Well, I might have got it from the world. I might have got it from the flesh. I probably got it from the devil, who's the father of lies. But I didn't get it from the God who is truth and loves truth. Not a one of those. So two things keep me from loving God with my mind. One, not knowing sufficiently what's on his mind. Read the Bible, memorize scripture. We already have two verses memorized in two measly old weeks. I plan on stretching this out until the Lord returns. and We'll just have all kinds of verses memorized. So, so I want to offer you something that I think will help. Just a little practical. I want to ask you some questions. Why not recognize what you are thinking? Recognize. Do a little more work at recognize what you are thinking. I don't know how much self-disclosure to do. Maybe just a little bit. Not too much. I don't want to tell you everything about me. I'll be out of work. <laughs> I finished speaking on what we spoke about last week, and then I sat down and uh, respectfully passed the microphone to our pastor, who, who I love, and we all do. And I sat there, right there. And I felt, uh, forgive the image, naked, vulnerable, That's what moody people go through. You think, you reflect, how'd I do? Did they like me? I'm telling you, that's the malady that moody people, I'm one, go through. So I'm sitting there. Our pastor is sharing wonderfully as he always does. And I'm preoccupied with this. Until I started to do the hard work of heart work, mind work, I guess I would have just sat there and taken the intrusion. You know, there's nothing I can do. I'm just passively involved. I'm just a victim beat up on me. I can't do anything. Instead, I used a little device. Um, I shared it with you last week. I took the word fear. I was fearful at the time. So I just took the word fear and I used it to usher me into the presence of Almighty God. And I used the F to remind me of how faithful he is. And I remember saying right there, quietly, I didn't want to cause a scene. Uh, while our pastor was speaking, I didn't hear a word of what he said. I, I have to admit to you, I, 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 look, I had to do some mind work. What are you going to do? 
Uh, so I said, oh God, I thank you that you're faithful. And that whether I performed up to the expectation of the people or not, though it's an important matter, it's really not a critical matter, is it? Because you're faithful to me no matter what. E, oh God, you're everywhere. Oh God, soon I'll take leave of these people. I don't know what they think. I don't know how I stack up with them. But I'm going home with you. You're going home with me because you are everywhere. A, you're amazing in your graciousness. Oh God, thank you. Even if I messed up, I didn't lose you. I didn't lose salvation. I didn't lose your affection because you're amazing in your grace. Or, oh God, you think rightly. I do not. Please help me to think rightly about the... I want to tell you what that little thing did. It just kept me from a downward spiral of too much moodiness leading to too much depression, which I can't get out of. I'm telling you too much. But that's the way it is. And I could, I could be lifted up. Why? I took the time. It was mind work to, number one, recognize what I was thinking. Look what I'm thinking. Two, here's the second. Reject the thoughts that are not God's. So recognize what you're thinking. Two, reject thoughts that are not God's. And here's the third R. Replace them with ones that are. Three R's. Recognize, reject, replace. Recognize what you're thinking. Don't let your feelings... I know I wasn't feeling good, so I have learned from the Bible that a thought preceded the feeling, so I backed up from the feeling to the thought. I found out what the thought is, thoughts of condemnation, thoughts of inadequacy, thoughts of rejection, thoughts of inferiority, those things. I recognized it. And I rejected it because not one of those are found in the mind of Christ, which is inscripturated for me in the Bible. He doesn't say any of those things. I recognized, I rejected, and then I replaced it with God's thoughts. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I will never leave you or forsake you. I have loved you with an everlasting love. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in his loving kindness. God is a refuge. A very present help in time of need. And he knows those who take refuge in him. I've replaced the stinking thinking with thoughts that God loves. I know he loved it because they were his thoughts. I know he loved it because they were true. So I, I just want to encourage you. You can do this. It's just like working out in a gym. You start slow. Things hurt. It doesn't come easy. Then the next thing you know, you're just, you're knocking them dead. You're lifting all kinds of weight. You're running on the torture machines in there. You're doing stuff. So it's the same thing. It's a mental, it's a me- but this is of, exercising this is of much more potential profit than the mere exercise of the body. I mean, these things are going anyway. You know, we're, we're going to get a new body anyway. So, so, so recognize. What are you thinking? If it's not what God would think, reject and then replace, then replace. Now you already know two verses with which you can replace bad thinking with good thinking. Proverbs 4.23 and Mark 12.30, which in closing, we should go over one more time. Are you ready? Here we go. Mark 12.30. And you shall. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with 
all mind and with all your strength. Lord Jesus, I think we got it. You must really, really, really love us to invite us in such a uh, an intense uh, love relationship with you. So with all the equipment with which we have been equipped, you say, hug on me, love me. I think we're ready to do a better job of loving you in our thought life. We'll do a better job of recognizing whether we are thinking the thoughts that you, Lord Jesus, love. Help us in the journey. It's exciting, but it's tough. We need your help. We value your help. Thank you for giving it. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen.